0: Um, All right, so we have a great uh, guest speaker this morning. His name is Doug Marshall. He's a senior pastor at Valley Christian Church in Wilsonville. And uh, he's been a pastor for almost 40 years. And he's a certified communication instructor uh, and a certified professional coach. And he's got a great heart for reconciliation ministry, for conflict resolution. And if you're here, I'm willing to bet, um, you have some conflict in your life, and so I'm really encouraged to hear what Doug is going to share. Um, he has a concept called uh, conflict stewardship, in which we learn uh, to use conflict as a resource to grow ourselves, others and the church by using a tool called the bridge, and that's what that card is um, there at your table. So hey, let's give a, a warm welcome to Doug and uh, his word today. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. All right, so I am here to talk to you about one of our favorite topics of all, and uh, that is conflict. How many of you have been in a conflict? <laughs> okay, some of you are not raising your hand, and uh, you're either just lying, and, uh, or you, I got people in my church where if, you, if the person up front asks anybody to do something, you sit there, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's, it's kind of like, and see, that's, that's the beginning of it, and that's okay. We all have conflict. How many of you are in a conflict right now? You don't have to answer that. And so somebody like, yeah. And, uh, and so I, I, it, I, I'd like to say that this is a topic that's dear to my heart, but it's not dear. I don't like conflict. I don't enjoy it. But I've discovered that it's, uh, it's, some, and it's something we haven't learned how to handle very well. And I, I'm sad to say, as Christians, we suck at it. Okay. But I've discovered it's a resource that if we learn to bring God into it, it can change our lives. And so I want to I approach this with you. And, and so I hope you can change your thinking. As you've just heard, I've been a pastor for a while, uh, 39 going on 40 years. But I've been serving and ministering in the church for about 46 years in what is known as the non-denominational Christian church. Okay, emphasis on non-denominational. And so when people ask me what denomination I'm affiliated with, I say I'm the non-denominational denomination, because, you know, we're just denominational as anybody else. And what's interesting is our particular group got started, our tribe, back in the early 1800s as essentially a failed unity movement. And so if you know any church history, our churches started as a failed unity movement, And back then, people took their denominational affiliations really seriously. So, like, if you were a Baptist or a Presbyterian, as far as you're concerned, everybody else is going to hell. You know, it's kind of one of those things. And that's just how they thought back then. There was no, nobody was just a Christian. And so, Christians banded together, and they said, we got to get over this thing. And so, back then, some of the, you know, first non-denominational fellowships began. We were non-denominational when non-denominational wasn't cool. All right? And so that's how it went. But then an interesting thing happened. We split. It was incredible. This, this great unity movement that was sweeping the nation, we divided. The liberal path went off and became the disciples of Christ. How many have heard of disciples of Christ? And then the conservative side went off, and they became the churches of Christ, churches of Christ non-instrumental. We might have some of you guys here today and so you got that. But the true, righteous, and faithful— you know, we we were the Christian Church. You know, we were the middle path. I'm being sarcastic. If you not you know, don't know what I'm doing, so, and so we split. And we have this this thing going on, and uh, and so there's it's a lot of learning there. They had the but they had the right idea. They just didn't know how to go about it. In many ways, we still don't. Their original vision was kind of powerful. When, and uh, and the vision was this: nothing is essential for the reaching the world for Christ except the unity and cooperation of Christians. That's what their vision was. They didn't get it done, but that's what their vision And You know, that sounds familiar. And so probably one of the most important passages in my life, and it's a visionary statement, comes out of Jesus' own prayer in John 17. And this is what Jesus prays. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as... You are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's Jesus' vision. He goes on, I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved, me even, uh, loved them even as you have loved me. So, you know, that's a powerful vision. And that enthusiasm for oneness, for unity, for peace has been pounded into my DNA from the very start because I've been, you know, I I cut my teeth in the Christian church. And so, unfortunately, our track record isn't that great. So how do we get there? And so I've been on this journey for, you know, 46, 48 years. How do we have peace? And I don't know about you, but I've been beaten up once or twice with some conflict. Any of you relate to that? You know, Uh, the very first church I served at was uh, out in uh, Joseph. And as a, as, a, as a pastor, I was fired from that church, okay? And it nothing more immoral, nothing scandalous, just church politics. How many of you experienced church politics? Okay? The church was growing, you know? I was, I was a young guy, didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was just serving, and boy, I got myself sideways and did some stupid stuff you know, communication-wise, conflict resolution-wise. We even had a guy come in, try to help resolve it. I learned from him how not to do it. And so, you know, I'm fired. What is that about? And uh, I, I, my father-in-law is a preacher. I, he just says, you know, no minister is worth his salt until he's fired at least once. And that was very, that was very comforting. And so I went on to Warrington Christian Church, you know, out on the coast, was there for 15 years. But, you know, even there, I went through a period where two of our elders attempted to stage a coup. Literally. And it's was like, and again, we were growing. We were, about, we're trying to hire staff. We are remodeling. It's just doing great guns. But, again, it was politics, and it was people's control issues, and it was all that stuff that comes out of our hearts, and it was a mess. I survived that one. Unfortunately, you know, it broke me. I mean, I, I, I reached a point where I was just literally broken. I couldn't get out of bed. I, was, I couldn't speak without sobbing uncontrollably. I was a mess. I was broken. And, uh, you know, when it comes to this thing called peace, I had a lot to learn where it starts. And it's not just a simple, I'm sorry, you're sorry, let's shake hands. There's deep issues that divide us. And if you're in a conflict, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, how do we experience God's peace in the midst of that kind of conflict? And, uh, what I realize is I can't sow peace out there if I don't have peace in here. It starts here. How do I have peace in here? I was raised in a pretty textbook dysfunctional family, okay? My, both my parents were, had addiction issues and codependency issues, and they taught me everything I know. I, I, I often describe myself as a black belt codependent. In my early ministry years, my ministry was driven out of this need to fix the world. A little bit of Messiah complex, Man, I was on fire. I was going to do it. Man, that, didn't, that doesn't work too well because people don't cooperate. And as I described, you get fired and you have people fighting you. You realize there's some, some issues there. And uh, one of the things I had to learn was I have no control over other people. I have no control over the church. I had to learn that the church does not rest on my shoulders. I began to, and I began to experience a healthy detachment from the church. I realize that who I am and what I am does not depend on my ability to grow and minister a church. It totally depends on who I am in Jesus Christ. Can any of you relate to that? And it begins there. It starts there. I had to overcome my codependent drivenness, but to do that I needed God. I needed to get some peace in here. And I could not have peace in here until I dealt with my issues in my own heart. But I still had much to learn. I struggle with addiction, and I'm not going to tell you what that is. I'm going to let you guess. Uh, if, if you talk to me privately, I'll tell you what that is, but I don't want that story to eclipse the message I have for you today. Let me just say, when you have an addiction, it kind of keeps you from having peace. Not just with yourself, but with other people. It messes with your life. You can't face reality. And in order to uh, deal with addiction, I had to look to God again. And so, m- many moons ago, God led me to a path of, of peace that I still walk to this day and, uh, and still need. It brings me close to God. But what I discovered is, and I began to experience victory, but I kept a cycle of where I kept messing up. And I realized that to get the true peace I needed to overcome this addiction, I had to go deeper in my life and deal with some deeper issues that involved not having God's peace. I, I was depressed. I was struggling with depression, clinical Depression. I had counselor friends who did the testimony. He said, you're depressed, man. I had one counselor say, you ought to be on meds. And then, you know, self-pity. I had to face my self-pity. I love self-pity. It's, it's my emotional drug of choice, by the way. I can sip on self-pity for weeks. It's just, oh, you know. I had to deal with resentment. I didn't even know I had resentments. And as, I, as God kept taking me deeper into my own conflict, of my own heart, I began to, i got to deal with my resentments. Then Fears insecurities and then finally just my baseline control issues do any of you have control issues yeah and so you know I'm beginning to look at well, how do we get there well it doesn't start out here it's it starts in here and uh, I, but I still had much to learn I have a great wife lover she's my she's the perfect woman for me uh, we have a great marriage she's my best friend I can't imagine living without her. And so, you know, she's the love of my life. And I think she'd say it about me. I think I'm confident that we have that feeling mutual. But I got to tell you, there was a time where I thought she was the devil. You know, it's like, who is this woman? Why, God, why is this woman in my life? Because I felt like I was being attacked. And, you know, it was just just a really low point in my marriage. And, uh, you know, but she wasn't the devil. She wasn't perfect, but she wasn't the problem. I was. There was things, and God had to show me that my poor wife was reacting to my attitudes and behaviors more than anything else. I was sucking the life out of this poor woman. And man, that was a hard lesson to learn. God had to confront me that peace starts with me and dealing with my stuff. And that's where the real spiritual battle begins. And uh, God had to deal with me. I'm going to share a a tool with you in a moment called the bridge. And the second pier on this bridge is something called assessing your own part in a conflict. And man, God had to just nail me to look at my, how I was, you know, causing my wife to react to me in defensive ways. And uh, But God taught me the path of peace. You know, it's funny, the interesting thing, the verse that God used to get me started on this path of my journey was not husbands, love your wife. It was hus- uh, love your enemies. And some of you probably need to go home today and love your enemy. Because that's, and I'm glad for that. She is, uh, some, I, many times I view my wife as my precious adversary. She's my precious adversary. Because without her, I would be stuck in a real self-centered, peaceless, insecure world. But because God brought her into my life, I had to learn peace at a different level. And, and, you know, I began to notice how conflict was growing me in other ways. See, notice what's happening. All these areas of growth, all these areas of transformation came because of conflict. Conflict each time drove me to find something deeper. And once again, I I found other ways I had to grow. There's, There's been many times in my life, in my ministry, where I've had to have conversations with people who were behaving badly and who are causing conflict themselves destructively? How do you have conversations to people who are in a tough place that are productive, and it's going to lead them out of that? I, I can tell you I know how not to do it, because I've done it all. And by the way, everything I'm teaching you and talking to you about today's peace, I've done it wrong. I'm not coming so much as the expert. I've just made so many mistakes, I've got you covered. That's just how that rolls, and I'm still learning. I, you know, I... I some people, oh, he's the expert in this stuff. Man, I'm so not the expert. I still struggle. Conflicts still hit me, and I have to work these steps myself. And in fact, this week, this week, a conflict was sat right in my lap, you know? And I'm, all the old stuff is churning, and I, I've learned i got to stop and bring God into that because if I talk or act or do anything in the moment, it's going to be the wrong thing. And I had to work. The, I had to align with Christ, and I, and I have to do it more than once. I'm like, I have to. All right, what's my part in this? And how can I gently appeal to the other person? And how can we get to a place where we can trust each other and work to solutions? And I mean, just this week, and I'm going through all the same emotional stuff. I'm not there, but there's a path that God has given us in the Bible that does work, and uh, and so that's kind of what I want to share with you today is this path. And I saw the pattern that conflict is an opportunity. Conflict is a resource. Most of the time, we try to avoid it, deny it. You know, we don't want conflict. But every time a conflict arises in your life, it's an opportunity to grow in Christ, if not for anybody else, for me. Because whenever we're disturbed, there's something in me that probably needs to be realigned, something that needs to be fixed. And that's the hardest thing to just grasp. And what I want to present to you today is that, man, if there's a disturbance, if there's a conflict, we've we got to start here. Peace starts here. In Colossians Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And when we're in conflict, there's generally some place Christ's peace is not ruling. And so conflict is this opportunity. Conflict is this amazing resource and commodity that if we use rightly, it'll transform my life, your life, and the life of others. But we have to accept it for what it is and begin dealing with it differently. So I came up with this idea of conflict stewardship you know, like we have money, you steward, you have, it's a, this good thing, use it wisely. So every conflict, all right, how can we use this to grow through? And so conflict is an opportunity. Conflict's an opportunity to grow in my relationship with God, my relationship with you, my relationship with others. Conflict is an opportunity to grow the church. Conflict is an opportunity to develop leadership. Conflict is an opportunity to discover better solutions. Because When there's conflict... You just learn how to have conversations around that. Better solutions come out of those conversations. Conflict is an opportunity that opens doors of ministry. Conflict is an opportunity to know God's will. Conflict is an opportunity to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to bear witness to the gospel of Christ. Because when people see Jesus and how we deal with our conflicts, they go, I want some of that. And they, they, it's just like Jesus' prayer. When they see us become one in this midst of conflict, they, so they see the reality of the gospel and who Jesus is. Conflict is an opportunity to make disciples. Conflict is an opportunity to be a disciple. The question is, do I really want to be a disciple in the midst of a conflict? Usually I would forget that piece, just fight, want my way. So how do we take advantage? Uh, how do we become good stewardship? So I'm, I created the bridge. Now, the bridge is not totally mine. I adapted it from an outline that was first uh, given to us by a guy named Ken, Ken Sandy, who wrote a book called The Peacemaker. And in that book, he kind of gave us these, these four things. And, uh, and so what I did is I took them, I kind of tweaked them, I, I, you know, made some things different. I attached them to the bridge and just made it more accessible to people. And you're going to notice there's two sides. And we're going to start with a side that, you know, starts with the A's, align with Christ, assess my own part. And uh, and so th- this is four steps that we can take in every, any, every conflict. Now, before I just outline those steps, there's a passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Consider what that means. First, if it is possible. Understand, I'm not offering a silver bullet here. Peace is not always possible. Peace takes two. Sometimes it's just not, it can't happen. Sometimes a relationship has to dissolve, just for the sake of, you know, health of you, not just you, but other people. Sometimes harm or destruction is being done. Sometimes someone is behaving destructively, and you can't just codependently hang in there with a relationship while someone is just, you know, causing havoc. There are times when people don't want peace, no matter how much you try to do your part. David prayed in the Psalms, too long I've lived among those who hate peace. I'm a man of peace, but when I speak there for war, have you ever met someone like that? There's people like that. That's just reality. And it's sad. There's situations where nothing we do will help. But the fact of the matter is, in the vast majority of the places, most people do want peace. We just write them off too quickly. You know, I can't tell you the number of times I've counseled people in conflict. And one person will say, well, I've tried everything. They just are, you just can't reason with them. And as I begin to explore, they really didn't try everything. You know, their idea of an apology was, you know, If I did anything wrong, I hope you can get over it. I'm I'm serious, you know. It's like, that was your apology? Yes, and and they just didn't, you know, take it, really. You know, and that's what we're dealing with. That's kind of, it's like, okay, well, let's explore this. Did you really do everything possible? Because if it is possible, and this is the next phrase, as far as it depends upon you, and that's the phrase we got to key on, what depends on us? This is kind of gives us an outline. These are the things you can do as far as it depends on you. And again, the Bible's kind of big on this. Ephesians 4.3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Romans 14.19, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Hebrews 12.14, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Conflict, by the way, is how we become holy. It's how we become sanctified. It's how we become perfected in Christ. But the, the, the common phrase there is make every effort. Not just some effort, every effort. In the Greek, the word make every effort comes from, the, comes from the Greek word dioko. And it means to earnestly strive with everything in you. In fact, it was the word used to describe the effort a Roman gladiator would exert to stay alive in the arena. I mean, that's that's what make every effort means. You, you're going to do this because it's life or death. And most of us, you know, we just make some token gestures and uh, it's not worth it. They can't see it my way. So let's just give this up. I've tried everything as far as depends on you. And then finally, it says, live at peace with everyone. Everyone. Yeah, we don't get to be selective here. It's, it's everyone. And there's always these people. I can make peace with everybody except this person. And that's right where God's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, you know, I really want you to make some peace in that relationship. It could be a brother, a sister, or a relative, or, you know, it could be an ex. It could be a kid. It could be a church member, a pastor. He's going to say, you know, have you done everything that you can to make peace with that person? I don't want to make peace with them, God. But i got to tell you, that's where the growth happens. That's where the transformation happens. And the thing is, it really doesn't matter how they respond. We do this whether they reciprocate or not. We do this because everything, as far as it depends on you, do your part and let God take care of the rest. So what do we do? Well, you can look at your card, and there's, there's four steps. The first thing we do whenever we face a conflict is align with Christ. And uh, in, in John 14, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And so any kind of genuine peacemaking or peace that comes, comes from Jesus. I can't make it on my own. And uh, in Ephesians 2.14, Paul says, for he himself, Christ himself is our peace. We need to figure out a way to bring God, bring Jesus into our conflict. And so we always need to start by bringing him into our, the conversations in our minds. How many of you have conversations in your head when you're in conflict with somebody? I'm just a master at this. I, I will create this conversation and, you know, I'm just, I'm like Perry Mason, you know. It's like, I'm just drilling these guys. I, that Perry Mason might date some of you guys, so I don't know. And, you know, I'm like an attorney, cross-defending, and just, you know, they're just useless. And I just have to stop. And, again, if I don't bring Christ in at that moment, my mouth or behavior is going to do something to make it worse. I know, because I've done it. And so I need to bring Christ in. So first I need to get over myself and stop trying to manage and control the situation on my own. Us guys have issues with this. We're fixers. And when there's a problem, our gut level reaction is, I'm going to go fix this. I'm going to go make this right. We're influencers. we got some leaders in this room. And when you're a leader, it's about, you know, and we take action. And I got to tell you guys, we got (laughs) to, you got to bring Jesus in before you do anything or you're going to go the wrong direction you got to align with Christ before you do anything. And this is a humility step. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. If you're going to walk the path of, uh, of peace, you got to bring God into it. you got to, you know, face the fact that you don't got this, that you are powerless to bring peace into this relationship apart from God. And I had to learn that because I'm a fixer. And I've learned communication skills to do it, and I've learned all this stuff, and boy, I'm really good, I've got people skills, but all that stuff is worthless when there's not peace in here, and I always make it worse. And so i got to humble myself before God. I can't do this. I need Christ in there. That's the humility step. Second, I need to reestablish my confidence in God, my trust that he's got this, that I can't, that he can that he will make a difference, that he's got a plan, that he's at work here, that he's, you know, can take care of me in the midst of this. And uh, this is a faith step. It's about trust. Can I really trust God that loves me, you know, that he cares about me so much and will take care of me that I don't really need to fight? I really don't need to defend. I can trust God. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that in all things... God works together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So this alignment with Christ involves me. Can I really trust that God's going to take care of me so that I don't have to do my normal reactionary kind of conflict stuff? And then finally, though, I need to surrender. I can't. God can't. I think I'll let him. And that's where I have to just like, you know, I really want to control this, but I can't. I'm going to surrender to Jesus. And this is where that passage in Colossians comes in. Let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts. To let the peace of Christ rule and be in charge, I have to let go of the reins and, and just acknowledge that I'm in control. I'm, I, I want to control, but I'm not going to do it. And so we surrender. And, uh, and so that's kind of how that is. Like I said just this week, conflict landed on my lap. I wanted to control it. It's my, it's my default setting And so I have to practice this every day. And so under this step, you're going to ask yourself some questions. What is God's will in this conflict? What is he trying to do? What's he trying to teach me? Where is God? What is God's solution? What's his path? How can I best glorify him in this situation? How can I serve God in this conflict? How can I reflect Christ? And those are just a few questions we can ask ourselves to align ourselves with Christ. But then comes another part. And this is my favorite, not. And uh, it's assess my own part, and so so we're aligned with Christ. Assess my own part, and of course, this comes from where Jesus says, "Why do you look at the plank in your brother's eye or the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own?" And boy, this is a tough one. He says, "Take this plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to help others." And so, you know, we should always look to ourselves before we address the issues with with someone else. And so some questions I need to ask myself here. What have I done or not done to contribute to this problem? You know, how could I have responded differently or better? You know, a lot of times people start the conflict, but because of our response, that's what blows it up. How could I have done it differently? Did I attack? Did I defend? Could I uh, have been more loving? You know, could I have listened more? was I completely loving or truthful? What do I want too much? What do I want so much in this conflict that I'm willing to hurt the other person for? Okay, and and lots of times it's, you know, we have surface stuff. I want my my car, my TV program, the remote, you know, all the stuff, that position uh, in my office. There's things, but there's deeper issues like, I want respect. I want appreciation. I want to be admired. I want to be looked upon with, you know, esteem and, and significance and meaning. And, and we have all these deeper things. And I want it so bad I'm willing to, you know, go to the mattresses with you instead of trusting God to take care of those things. And uh, what idols am I sacrificing to? What idols am I bringing into this situation? And I got to look at those things and say, yeah, I need to let go of that because I'm, I'm the divisive one because of my idol. James 4 1 through 3, one chapter verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not because of the desires that battle within you? And, man, I have to get honest about what I want so much. And so, uh, I uh, how are we doing time-wise here? So, a while back, my, my wife and I got into it. She was feeling sick. She wasn't feeling well. She was under a time crunch. And uh, she was busy trying to get the house ready for some things, and 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 all of a sudden, you know, we're having this conversation. I'm trying to go out the door, and I make a comment, and she just lets me have it. She just, you know, she says something that hurts my ego, right? And like the the understanding husband I am, you know, I I let her have it back. Have you ever done that? Yeah, okay, so I'm in good company here, and and it didn't go well, you know. And so, fine, I left in a huff, got in the car, I'm on my way to work. I'm on my way to church, <laughs> to be the minister. It's like okay, and so the first half of the conversation is uh, me having that conversation in my head of how oh, she's so wrong. I'm sorry. I'm doing the conversation, like, man. This I should have said this, and you know, and if she just understood. And And it's like you know, and I live in Donald. I work in Wilsonville. And so right about the middle of but- uh, you know, you go through Butteville, just outside of Butteville. That's when the Holy Spirit took over, and and, you know when the Holy Spirit, when you let the Holy Spirit in, sometimes he's nice and sometimes he's not so nice, and he's like, "Come on!" And so the second half of the trip was the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, confronting me on this piece. What did you do? Here's your wife, who's not firing on all cylinders. She's sick. She's had it. She's just you know, and she's under a time crunch. You know, maybe she shouldn't have responded that way, but at least she has an excuse. What's your excuse? And how could have you done it better? And all of a sudden, it just became crystal clear that that conflict wasn't really about her. It was about my reaction. And so the next end I like, oh, geez, you know. And so the whole morning, I'm, I'm now having a new conversation in my head. How do I make this better? How do I go to her? And so, you know, I, 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 I go home, and, and she's sitting in the chair, and I come to her. And before I could say a word, she says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and I say, I'm sorry, too. And we hug and kiss. Ah, it's all sweet. And, you know, and, we, and my immediate thought was, dang, she said sorry first. <laughs> what can I say, you know? But, you know, that reconciliation happened because we both were willing to do that step to assess our own part. And, you know. <laughs> that's a tough step, but that's what God calls us to do. Let's go to the third one. There comes a point where after you've aligned with Christ, after you've assessed your own part, there's times we have to appeal to a brother or sister with some conflict. And in Matthew 18, it says, if your brother sins against you, go to and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. And the idea here is to make a positive, effective appeal to someone about an issue you're experiencing. I've, got a, I've developed, we suck at this, by the way, too. We don't communicate. I've written a whole framework for Christians to learn, practice, and teach communication because we don't have, we are unable to have productive conversations about conflict and about hard issues, and this is as leaders. And so my publisher's here today. He, if I don't tell you my books are here, he's going to be mad at me. He's going to defriend me on Facebook and Twitter and every other social media platform. And so they're they're here. I don't these aren't for sale. These are to look at cuz they're hot off the press. If you're interested, you could sign up. That's all I'm going to say about it. And so, Carl, sorry that's all you're going to get. And so, anyhow, so but you can look at. But I realize this is a problem we have. We don't know how to communicate well. So I teach communication as well as conflict resolution. There comes a point we have to learn how to appeal to the other person with issues. And uh, we need to learn to do learn to do it better. And uh Because normally we have an either attack-defend cycle. You know, either we attack, defend, or defend or attack. And whatever the other person does, we do the opposite. And it becomes this cycle, this circle that escalates until it just becomes out of hand. And whether it's the love and respect crazy cycle or Gary Smalley's fear dance or whatever it is, it's always a hit, a reaction, a hit, reaction. And we got to get out of that cycle, and that demands to practice the first aligned with Christ, look at my own part, and then do something different, communicate differently. And so we need to learn to appeal, and it's a gentle appeal. You know, oftentimes we're either too harsh and insensitive, uns- or we don't say anything at all. We just act like everything's okay, and we go away and pout. You know, and some of us guys, we're powders. You know, we don't want to attack, but we'll pout, or we'll, we'll, we'll go away. We withdraw. Sometimes we stonewall. We go passive aggressive, and then some of us are attackers. You know, don't mess with me. You know I'll I'll bring it. And so this is where we do something different. We speak the truth in love with gentleness. If your brother trespasses you, who are spiritual, restore him gently, looking to yourself lest you too be tempted. And so you know that's just this. Unless there's a safety issue, we should always talk to the person directly. This means we should never talk to other people unless we're going to someone for counsel or coaching. Okay, we have that. And uh, and so the Bible tells us not to gossip. And so, and do not, by the way, don't try to work out your issues through email or texting or social media. I mean, how many of you have seen that? It doesn't work too well. Go to the person. The final step on the bridge is to agree to restore. Uh, Paul says this. He says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Man, that is the ideal. That's what we should be striving for, but we don't get there. Now, the first piece in this step is mutual forgiveness. That's the hardest, you know. This is the step where we really let go and we mutually forgive each other and experience some reconciliation. You know, you, you, you confess and you forgive and, you know, you have that. And forgiveness, I mean, we could have a whole conversation about that alone in this meeting. And uh, we, some of us don't like to forgive. I liken it to, a, you know, if someone hurts me, they, they might cut my hand with a razor blade and you put the razor blade in the hand. So just imagine a razor blade in your hand. Okay, That hurts. So what would be the logical, rational thing to do? You take the razor blade and throw it out and put some ointment on there, and you, you heal. But that's not what we do. We let, we let the razor blade lay there, and then we close our fist over it. Can you imagine what would happen if you had a razor blade in your hand and you close your fist over it? And then every time we think what that person did, we blame a little more, and we tighten our fist a little bit more. And every time it hurts a little more, we blame them more. They're causing this. Who is causing my pain as I tighten my fists over this issue that my wife didn't? That's what unforgiveness is. And we do it all the time. And I don't know what that is about our human nature, but you know what is the solution? That's what it is. It all starts with forgiveness. You can't, have, you can't move forward unless there's forgiveness. and And, and then... Once you've kind of like made friends again, you've got some positive feelings, well, then you can talk about the issues because peacemaking is not about rolling over and just having other people get their way. It's learning to have a relationship where you can solve problems. So another part of this step is learning how to resolve issues with other people. It's learning how to have positive conversations that get to us to solutions. Again, that's one of the reasons I wrote my curriculum on communication. We need to learn how to negotiate and not get sucked into the old tact defense cycle. A key to this is a verse 4 in the Philippians that I read. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In that passage, he's saying it's fine to look after your own interests. You, we need to learn how to communicate our own interests, but then we also need to learn how to listen to other people's interests. What is it they're after? What is it they need? What is it they're looking for? And ultimately, together, we need to be considering God's interests. In Christian conflict resolution, there's always at least three parties. There's me, you, and God. God is always a part because his interests are at stake, too. It's not just me and you. So we always have to bring him in on this. And, uh, and so we have that. And so you learn to negotiate, you rebuild trust, and the relationship starts to restore as you learn some healthy ways to relate to the other person. But those are the four steps. On your card, you can turn it on the back, and so to make this even easier, you know, some people relate to this outline. When, when you're in a conflict, you do this. You go up, you go in, you go to, you go with. You know, some of my leaders at my church, they, you know, they like that. They, it's a big thing for them. And, uh, and by the way, th- this stuff is in like in our church. It's in our membership guide. When people join our church they, when we face conflict, they learn this. They don't join the church without this. It's a part of our church DNA. We have relational commitments where it's you know, this is how we deal conflict, and we practice this in our leadership. In fact, in our bylaws, oh, and this is another thing. So when you negotiate with others, sometimes you get stuck. And here's another thing we don't do: there's nothing wrong with getting help from outside. There's nothing wrong with bringing third parties into resolve issues. The Bible instructs us to do this. If your brother listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he doesn't, bring two or three others along with you. And we have the wrong idea about that. They think, you know, if you bring two others with you, we think that's Max and Guido. You know, I'm going to help you see it a little more clearly. And, you know, and so that's not the point of that passage. The two others, they're actual neutral third parties. They're witnesses. And at times, they would actually function as conflict coaches, as facilitators, as mediators. But they are also witnesses, if one person is really off the track and is, you know, not doing it, they can testify, so-and-so is just really, they're not repentant. So the third parties are not your support, you know, your, your heavies. They're third parties. And Jesus says, do that, and we don't do that. We will go to the bitter end, and, and we don't get help until it's just almost too late. And we do this in churches. Our Christian churches are very independent and autonomous. We don't have a denominational structure, and so when we get in a conflict, we're going down because we won't ask for help from anybody. And I met a friend over here, Don, who comes from our same tribe, and we were just talking about that. Our churches—we're just not designed for conflict because we're not—we're not—we're we're so prideful. We're not going to get help from other people. So in our bylaws. We have a conciliation clause that states if we are in a protracted, harmful conflict for over 90 days, we are required to seek third-party help to deal with that conflict. you got to do it sooner than later. And whether it's your marriage, whether it's with kids, family, you know, what to do with mom and dad, families fight over what to do with mom and dad as they get older, all sorts of issues. Man, get help because some of these things, even me, as, as good as I am at this, I can get in a conflict with somebody. And I need to be willing to offer, you know, get someone else to help us negotiate that. We need to have that kind of humility. And so that's just kind of the bottom line of what I'm calling you today. Now, again, the other person may not, you know, reciprocate. We can't force people to have peace with us. And, uh, you know, each of you probably have some conflict going on in your life right now. And what I want to tell you is that this actually always works. It always works. It may not bring peace between you and the other person, but it will bring peace to you as you do everything on your part. And as you experience, and so back to this conflict I was telling you about that landed in my life yesterday, I'm sitting there and I'm going, man, and I'm having the conversations in my head. And unfortunately, I'm going over this, this message that I'm supposed to deliver at some men's breakfast the next morning. And I'm looking at the steps. And I'm going, well, gee, there's a wake-up call. And I'm going, I guess I better practice what I preach here. And so I did, you know. All right, line of Christ, trust, yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see where I'm not doing that. Look at my part. Okay, man, I can see that. And in a very short time... I was experiencing the peace of Christ again. And it was a wonderful experience. We can be one in Christ if we just let him be one in Christ. And, uh, you know, it's the gospel. It's the most powerful thing in the universe. We just need to learn to bring it into our lives. And we can be one in him. Let me just close with a quick story, and then I can take some questions and answers and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, Years ago, when I was in Warrington, I was... uh, trying to get healthy. I've never been real healthy. And so I got a bicycle for Christmas. And back then, there was this hardware store called Coast to Coast. I don't know if any of you old-timers remember Coast to Coast. And it was one of their brand, you know, and it was called Huffy. Can you imagine? Huffy. And so I got this bicycle. It's, it's nothing like they have today. It was just kind of a standard old fuddy-duddy bicycle. And, and I was excited because I, I lived on Sunset Beach, and I was going to ride to church and ride to back. And, you know didn't have a lot of money so I went to Fred Meyer and bought the cheapest helmet I could find and, and I didn't have you know in my pants I had rubber bands to keep my you know and uh, and so here you know I I wasn't really impressive to look at I'm, I'm you know I'm on 101 track cars coming by and here I am with rubber bands on my jeans beat up sweatshirt Fred Meyer helmet you know riding a Huffy and I'm looking up driving to work and I looked on the other side and cyclists love the coast and here up there's about five or six of these serious cyclists. These guys had it all. They had these suits that you know shimmered and they were you know aerodynamic and the bikes were titanium kryptonite alloy something like that. I don't know. And it was just like uh, they had all the gear and like wow. These guys these guys are real cyclists. And here I am riding my Huffy on the other side and I'm like I I'm wondering if I should stop and kind of get off the road or hide and you know because I was feeling a little self-conscious and I'm just like geez you know and and so nothing to do I'm headed north they're headed south and they look across at me and the lead guy goes gives me the gives me the salute and man I felt so good because I was one of them I was one of them you know and I just like okay that's pretty cool I'm. I'm a cyclist, too, and I felt so good about that, and, you know, we were one in cycling. It was so great. The story doesn't end there. Very next week, I'm headed south on 101, and I look up, and I'm looking, something sounds looks strange, and all of a sudden, there's a, a group of cyclists, but these weren't the top-notch cyclists. These, these guys are actually going back and forth on 101. That's just not bright, and, they're, but they're, and as I look closer, they're not riding these, these really nice road things. They're riding these BMX, trick BMXs, as I got closer, there were a bunch of young adults, you know, wearing young adult clothing with baseball caps put on backwards, and they had tattoos, and, you know, there was stuff in their ears. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. And they were crossing back and forth. And just before they got to me, they crossed over my side. They were on the wrong side of the road. And they're headed right for me, and I'm going, oh, geez, I'm going to run right into a gang. Once again, I'm like, what's going to happen here? And I'm like, Geez. You know? And so I said, say, God help me, you know? And so come up, and we're just, and, and they, they, about 10 feet before the head guy, the head, you can tell he's the leader, you know, baseball cap in the back. He looks at me, and he gives me the biggest toothy grin you can imagine, and he says, Hello, fellow biker. <laughs> Apparently, I was one of them, too. We are one in Christ. And when we make Christ one, we become one. That's just how that rolls. And so this is just a path to peace, but it's, it's, it's about God doing a work in our lives. And I think there's a time, we've come to the time in the Christian, you know, epic, where this is the new unity movement. Because it's not about doctrine, it's, not about, it's about our relationships, and it all starts here. Amen. Amen. So... I know we don't have a lot of time, but does anybody have any questions? And I can understand if you don't, I'm okay. All right. Oh, right here. to a reflection if this person is how do you handle that so beyond so what i've taught you today is personal peacemaking so i also teach conflict coaching so how, how, when you're in the help, when you're helping others this becomes a, a, a tool where you can help them do that and so i have a, I actually have a sheet called bridge work and uh, They're questions it's all questions, and so you don't tell them to align, you know, you say, you don't necessarily tell them to align with Christ. You just simply ask them the questions, you know. So, you know, Jim, where, where do you see God in this? You ask questions. It's, it's a coaching methodology. You just ask them questions. So, you know, wh- wh- what do you think God's will is? How do you think God wants you to respond to this? You begin asking questions that gets them to align. So you're not telling them anything. You're just having them align with Christ by asking them the right questions. And you do that with all four peers. So you get to the cest part. Well, what did you do? You just ask questions. And so the bridge work is just a bunch of questions on each peer that you're not telling them to do anything. You're just asking questions. Now, you might show them, a, can I show you a scripture? You know, here's a scripture on being gentle. Here's a scripture on, you know, whatever. And you have them. So what do you think of that scripture? Does that relate to you? You're not telling them anything. You might show them passage of scripture and say, does this, you feel like this relates to you in any way? Does that answer your question? That's how you do it, okay? Anybody else? So what I, what I teach here, see, I'm really focused on Christians. This is Christian peacemaking, because as Christians, we need to learn to do this different. I do secular. I've done secular. I've been trained in secular. And they do something called interest-based, Christian mediation and, and conflict resolution is called values-based. And so you, you, when they're not Christians, you have to appeal to their interests, because you can't appeal to God. Now, if I'm working with you guys, I'm gonna say, are you a Christian? Do you really want to follow Jesus? Well, let's look at what Jesus says, right? When you're dealing with non-Christians, it's a whole different animal. So what what is the ultimate outcome you want on this? And you basically walk them through a solution focused conversation on what they want and the best way to get there. And so, well, I, I want this. So do you think telling your wife to, you know, that she's a blankety blank and you know, do you think that was helpful? Probably not. And so, again, you still use coaching methodology, you still use questions, but now you're relating to them. What, what is it you ultimately want, and how are you going to get? So you're really helping them get to what they want, and you're walking them toward, you know, a more productive way of peace. Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Anybody else? Back there. Yeah. Mike? I that conversation in my Yeah. Yes. How do you handle that? Oh man, and like I say, I, I go when I get in a conflict. I will. It's like obsessive. It's like, boom, boom, boom. and so I have to. It's like an addiction. It's there's some kind of brain chemistry we like. There's that conversation we enjoy setting up the straw man, and so you have to address it like an addiction. You have to. I, I can't handle this on my own. So you're basically operating. You're just basic steps to deal with any kind of a overwhelming desire. You have to. I can't handle this on my own. I trust God, bring him into it. Now, there are some specific things I do, I do, Mike. And, uh, for instance, this morning, to kind of quench some of the conversations, I have certain prayers I go to. You know, like the serenity prayer, but I have some other prayers. Uh, the full serenity prayer. Um, uh, I have certain readings. There's, there's a thing called the bookmark by St. Teresa of Avila who says, let nothing trouble you, let nothing scare you. Uh, light, all is fleeting, only God is unchanging patience everything obtains he who possesses God nothing wants and that that just tells me everything I have need I already have right now and it helps me trust in God um, what are some other things scriptures there's certain scriptures I'll go to every time and uh, and I don't know what works for you sometimes music sometimes a prayer sometimes sometimes you need to call somebody you know, if the conversations get too bad, you just need to get on the phone and talk to your brother. Some of you are outward processors. You need to talk to somebody. That's, you know, when the conversations get out of hand, have a conversation. If you're like me, I get up in the middle of the night, at least once a night, and that's when the conversations kick in, and that's when I have to either go to music, you know, I read, there's certain things I do to help me, but it always comes back to the basic steps to stop the controlling conversations. Is that helping you, Mike? Absolutely. Okay. And there's others, and God will lead you. You just find your own path on that. Anybody else? Right here. (laughs) And, and drive the <laughs> that's a really good question, and I, I think we've all faced that. So there's a guy named John, John Gottman. Maybe you hear John Gottman. He's like this famous marriage expert, and he talks about four horsemen of the apocalypse. And he says that there's basically two patterns that that indicate you know serious conflict. And one is criticism and contempt. that's the attack, and then then uh, uh, defensiveness and stonewalling. And so when our wives are on the attack, us guys, we tend to withdraw. And so it's not necessarily wrong to leave. It's how you leave. And so sometimes you do need to just put distance, but you should make some kind of statement saying, honey, I don't think we're going to have a productive conversation right now. I'm going to take a break. Let's get back. So you give you, you frame it somehow. You might even frame it, hey, I want st- us." To be at peace, I want us to uh, work this out, but I think we need to calm down for a bit. I'm just going to go chill for a little bit, and we can come back. Does that help you? So there's a time? Yes, because they're hot. and it's just nothing's going to. And sometimes you just have to shut up and just pray, OK, breathe and let them talk. Yes, honey. You know, my God's big, and he gives me the power to do that when I need to. If, I'm them, if I let him, I, I don't have to react. So, uh, But I, I, I empathize with that. There's, there is a time, it's how you depart or give distance. Does that answer your question? Okay. Anybody else? Right here? It reminded me of a moment of epiphany that came very slowly in my marriage in dealing with uh, conflict with my wife or issues with my wife. Yeah, I think women tend to use the term I'm a woman, so I have the right to change my life. <laughs> She would come home from something that she has obviously an emotional issue stirred up, whether it be at work or in interpersonal relationships. And I immediately go into, I need to fix this. Exactly. Exactly. She never once asked me to fix any of these issues. They're emotional, they're a relationship issue. She just wanted me to listen. That's right. Yeah, that's very wise, and uh, I'm with you. Took me a long time to figure that one out too. In my communication material, I teach something called the process compass, and so that's process. And so there's two directions we can go. One of the is, is we communicate to know and be known, and we communicate to influence and be influenced. They're two opposite directions. You can't do both at once. And us guys, we're influencers. We, we, we start at the gate and we're influencing. But sometimes we need to communicate just to know and be known. And to truly know someone, you can't have an agenda to fix them or influence them. And so, like you just said, many conversations, we need to shift gears and just, okay, what's going on? Empathize, because I've been in your shoes and I know that. And uh, now there's a time to shift influence, but not before you have that conversation. Because I think Gottman says this too, we cannot effectively influence another person unless they feel that they've been effectively been heard. That's just how that is. And so in communication, we need to learn how to shift gears, but especially have that conversation where we're just listening to people without the agenda. And again, the agenda is our part. We bring agendas to our conversations, and that gets us in trouble. And so we just have to recognize that, turn that over to God, and stop doing things our own way. So good question. Anybody else? Right here. well they might have a point you know first and so you know if if it's now we're talking it's a really general hypo, you know hypothetical situation i mean if you're if you're confronting a, a someone who's an addict or someone who is abusive or someone who you know that's a t- typical tactic that someone who is trained to deal with those types of situations they will try to redirect and you have to just like that we're not you know you direct them back to them but in a typical marital conflict, you know, where it comes up, then you might want to just stop and go back to have a conversation to know and know, well, all right, tell me about that. Because what they might be bringing up a deeper issue. Because we think the topic is about this, but all of a sudden in the heat of the moment, they bring up this other thing, and you go, oh, maybe that's what's really eating them. And so you want to be able to stop and have a conversation about that. But when that happens, let's be honest, we get reactionary. And then we defend, and then we're on that cycle. And so, again, it's, it's a learning process. You, none of us get here in a day. We have to learn to recognize that, that escalation of you know, unproductive conversations and go, all right. And you might even have, if you feel yourself triggered emotionally, you might need just you know, honey, you're saying something that I think is important. Can I take a break and think about it? Now, here's a problem I face, maybe some of you guys. I'm a slow processor. My wife will speak to me. And I, I don't get it like this. i got to think it through, and you know, it takes me a few moments, and she thinks I'm ignoring her. In fact, it irritates her. Why aren't you responding? You're just, you know. And so, any of you have? I'm just, I, just I, I don't know what to say because I process things. I've learned to say, honey, let me think about this for a second. Just give her some, I have a stock phrase. I say, give me time to think about this, and that helps. But does that am I answering your question? Yeah, well, yes, you, it depends on the situation. And in such certain situations where you're actually confronting someone with an issue, you want to try to stick with the issue. Um, but oftentimes when you're just trying to resolve stuff and you, stuff gets on the table, you need to just stop and, take, you know, if they say it, take it at face value. Does that help? Yeah, okay. Anybody else? Back here. And It's past nine. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, always. I mean, yeah, you always listen to them and uh, get to know them. And, in fact, when you're dealing with non-Christians with conflict resolution, that's where you can flip this around and you can use the go up. Because everybody has some spirituality. So go up can be anything. It could be a higher power. Okay, it could be anything. You can ask them, so what do you use to rely on? Is there some type of spiritual tradition, you know? And so I'll just ask them. So I have them go up. And then I, you can use the go up, go in, go to, go with for a non-Christian. And then when you're dealing with non-Christians, especially at that first part, you can ask them the question, you know, you say you believe in this you know, as your higher power. Is that sufficient for you in this conflict? And that's where you have an opportunity to share the gospel and maybe even your own story. Would you be open to me sharing with you something I found helpful to deal with a conflict like this that works much better? so that would be your inroad, but you can't say that until you've listened and you know and, and they feel like they've been understood. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yes. Thank you guys. I appreciate you listening and listening and putting up with us. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you love us and uh, you have forgiven us our sins. You are the great peacemaker. You have uh, are showing us you didn't just save us father you are saving us you're showing us a path that uh, delivers us from ourselves and draws us not just into a deeper relationship with you but with others but father we have a long way to go our human nature our our self-centeredness our control issues are, are paramount and so we need you to help us walk this path and i just thank you for these men who are here today bless them help them apply these principles in their lives and experience fruit Uh, because peacemakers, Father, will raise a harvest of righteousness when we sow these seeds. So bless us as we go forth this day, Father, and uh, help us bring you into every conversation and every act and deed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.